Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Away With Words, a show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, you will recall our conversation about winged beavers and banana slugs. Yes. Those mascots, being, right? Yes, yes. Strange mascots. Yes. And we put the call out to our listeners to uh, let us know strange mascots they've come across. And we heard from Joyce Sisko in Cody, Wyoming, who wrote this. I think you'll enjoy this. Driving past the high school in a very small rural Montana town for the first time, I noticed a very imposing black metal bat with wings spread across the top of a post. It looked quite menacing and appeared to have been constructed by the students, perhaps in metal shop. It took me a few minutes to realize that it was the perfect mascot for a high school in Belfry, Montana. Oh, <laughs> There is a Belfry, Montana. It's tiny. It's and they tiny. Have bats in yes, Belfry. they do. And we also heard from CJ in Washington, Connecticut, who points out that in the 1970s there was a team in Macon, Georgia, an ice hockey team. Can yeah. you guess what they were called? Macon, Georgia, Macon Bacon. I don't know. Oh, what? good guess. I don't know what. No, they were the Macon Whoopie. <laughs> <laughs> Go whoopies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is it about mascot names? I mean, you can't call them like the evildoers who will slaughter their, you know. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Come to think fun. of it. Yes, yes. We heard from Ariel Kershaw from Plainfield, Indiana, who said there the mascot is the Quakers. So they're the fighting Quakers. The fu- sure. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, no. <laughs> the fighting Quakers? Yeah. You, you go ahead. I, I, just yeah. clear the way for the goal so they can get there, will you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in your way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't mean to hit you. <laughs> We'd love to hear your comments about any aspect of language, 877-929-9673, or send us an email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Shane. Hi, Shane. Where are you calling from? Fort Worth, Texas. All right. What's going on, Shane? Well, my wife and I have a heated debate going on. Whenever in the course of conversation um, I refer to someone who participates in gymnastics, I will refer to them as a gymnast. And she's very quick to point out, you mean gymnast. And so uh, I think it's a, an issue of she thinks I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, but I, I tend <laughs> to think that gymnast is probably acceptable. And are you two gymnastics enthusiasts? Not really. Uh, or, or, or are you gymnastics enthusiasts? Ah, that's an excellent question. <laughs> um, I, I think we're sort of enthusiasts, and we have two two small daughters who we want to be participants, and so, you know, we don't want to call them the wrong thing. Okay, so, so you say that you're an enthusiast, and she says that you're an enthusiast. Well, that's the funny thing. I, I think I would say enthusiast. I wouldn't cross my mind uh-huh. to ever say enthusiast, uh-huh. and the fact that I say gymnast is... Uh, it, it's completely subconscious. Good Lord. These these differences are so subtle, aren't they? Yes, yes. Yeah. 
I was afraid that when you were saying you had a question about the pronunciation of gymnast, that that maybe she said gymnast. Or oh yeah, th- no, thank goodness I couldn't live under those conditions. Yeah, yeah, that those would be those would be terms for divorce, I guess. Right, right. Well, I I asked that because it comes from the Greek word gymnos, which means naked, because the ancient Greek. Uh, uh, athletes used to exercise naked, and hmm. because there there are physicians who say gynecologist rather than gynecologist, oh, that shocked that. me. Yeah, back when I was a medical huh. reporter for a newspaper, I ran it's into not even all start these. Start about Jif and Gif. I know. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. So now that I've but turned it into a complete mess, yes, let's, and let's, yes, let's go back there. So, in okay. a nutshell, yes, they're both right. Yeah, they're they're both right. There are some people who will say that that the pronunciation gymnast was a later development mm-hmm. and that it entered dictionaries later and that gymnast has right. has a longer history. But really, so what? I mean, she, I mean, they're so, so close. So Shane, she should not have a problem with your pronunciation. As a matter of fact, if you go to merriamwebster dot com and you look up this word and you click on the icon for the audio pronunciation, it is your pronunciation. Yes. <laughs> However, if you look at the phonetic transcriptions of the two possible pronunciations, the other one is hers. Ah. I'm sorry. You cut out on that last part. I'm just going to stick with the first thing you said. (laughs) And it's the same for the—if you need another source besides Martha and me and Merriam-Webster, also check the American Heritage Dictionary. It's the same there. Yeah, it's— yeah. Who, who needs another source besides you guys? You're, y'all are the best. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, so you're both fine. You just come from different linguistic traditions, and that's fine, too. Perfect. Yeah, I figured that was the case. And, you know, the, the problem is she's beautiful and much smarter than me in every capacity. So I just wanted a small victory for one. <laughs> yeah, so that's a problem. I'm going to take it. And, if and, I <laughs> were you, I would play this for all it's worth, because I suspect if she is as intelligent as you say she is, you don't win very often. <laughs> it's a fact. It's a fact. Well, she married Shane, so she's got oh, to have go, some, yeah. uh, some Maybe that's her one mistake. Always, Who knows? I always say, yeah, she's very smart, but she did marry me, so it makes me a little bit smarter probably. I, <laughs> right. You married up, as we all try to do, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, well Sh- thank you. Thank you so, sure. so much for having me on. It's an honor. <laughs> sure thing. Take care, so Shane. either one, yeah. Bye-bye. And Alrighty. good luck with those girls in their sports, okay? Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank but, you. Bye-bye. Bye. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. This is Khalid Tabara. How's it going? Khalid? Like K-H-A-L-E-D or something like that? Absolutely perfect. Okay, great. Well, welcome to the show, Khalid. How, how can we help you? And where are you, by the way? Yeah, where are you? I am in Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. Youngstown, all right. What's on your mind? Um, I w- I'm a musician, and we were working on um, like album artwork. And we wanted to put in a swear word, but we wanted to use like that symbolic representation of swear words, where mm-hmm. they like in comic books, where there's an at symbol and a hash and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I started kind of looking into like if there was any rules or if there was any system or if they had to correspond a certain way. And I I couldn't find anything. I couldn't even find a list of like acceptable symbols. Like what are you allowed to use? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can you use? You know, question mark and different ones. I ran into a word called Grolix. Yep. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't find much more about what I was kind of looking for, which is basically like, are there any rules? Is there a specific way to use them, or is it just kind of a free for all? Um, so I ran into that word, but I really couldn't find anything else besides it's just a word. 
that yeah. kind of defines it, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, Khalid, we can tell you more about Grolix's, but I have to ask, what kind of musician are you, and, and why aren't you <laughs> using profanity on the album? It's a children's album, right? No. It's not at all. No, it's a, it's a rock album, and we absolutely... It would it would be fine to do it, but it was actually just inside the cover, and we were just we're just kind of friendly and just kind of being silly about it. Okay. And so I was just trying to figure out how to do it. It worked totally with the artwork to be kind of quirky and comic booky. You okay. Know? Okay. Kind of retro. <laughs> so let's talk about that word yeah. Grolix for a second. It's G R A W L I X. That's what you found. Yeah. And that refers to those symbols overall, and it comes from you probably remember this Beetle Bailey, the guy who made Beetle Bailey. Mort oh, yeah. Walker, right? I do, yeah. In 1980, he published a book called The Lexicon of Comicana, which talked about all these symbols and the variety of ways that a cartoonist gets across movement and sound and emotion without using words. So the way that they might do a um, reflection on, um, uh, draw a reflection on a window pane in order to show that it's actually a window pane, things like that. Yeah. And that came out of years of him encountering people asking him questions about what do you call that? What is the rule for that? What, are, what do you know about that? So he decided just to make up all these words. And here we are, 35 years later, and some of those words that he invented have caught on, including the word Grawlitz itself. But it's still pretty much up to the cartoonist or the illustrator to use them as they wish. I think you're looking for that magical combination that says, uh, there's a naughty word here, but we don't want you to know what it is, right? But we just want you to know that there is one. There's not exactly a grammar of Grolix's. There's not like one set that means this word (laughs) and one set that means that word, and there's not like a letter-for-letter code or anything like that, letter-to-symbol code. The more I thought about it, that started to be... That started to make a lot of sense because at first I thought there really should be like, okay, you're allowed to use one word, the one letter at the beginning, one letter at the end. You know, I was trying to find mm. some kind of system, and the more I thought about it, I went, well, if there's a system, isn't that kind of just swearing? You know what I mean? Or yeah, it kind of just <laughs> it does the job right without actually having to know the word. Yeah. Right. One thing yeah. to note is that for a long time, a lot of that sort of symbolic cursing in comics wasn't typography. It wasn't a hashtag or necessarily an exclamation mark or the stranger symbols on the keyboard that we don't use that often. Instead, it was lightning bolts and clouds and different things oh, like yeah. that. And so it's when we use like, the wet, type like of... wingdings or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So when yeah. we use typography now, we are actually like in the second or third generation away from what it originally was. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, but do whatever you want. Whatever like indicates like... We only kind of mean it, but we a little mean it, and it's actually not really a bad word, but it's one that we don't want to put here. Yeah, whatever and also, that middle road yeah, is. also just whatever looks good, I think. Oh yeah, sure. You don't want it to look too much like it either, like right. You know what I mean? Like the at kind of looks like an A or kind right. of right, right. Or as it could I be an E or an O, right? <laughs> the schwa. Yeah, we just tried it and we just kind of rolled with it and went, yeah. They're going to know what we mean. That's right. we the way this. to do it. <laughs> and if you put it in a speech bubble, then even it's even clearer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But do look up that book. It's it's not widely available, the Lexicon of Comicana. You can find it in reprints here and there and in used bookstores. It's a lot of fun. And Mort Walker was an interesting cartoonist who was really heavily into the craft of cartooning. So that's part of the reason why the words that he invented um, caught on. Oh, I'd like to see the finished product, Colin. And hear it, too. I'll, I'll yeah. have to send you guys some. Sure. Okay. I honestly, friends of mine, I'm, I, we love the show. Like, literally, everyone in the band, we listen to it when we <laughs> drive and stuff. And we actually have, like, references. Like, on the new record, we kind of were counting. There's, like, three or four things that are directly influenced. We've listened to every single episode. We use, like, Scratch of Dawn in a song. and what? Drop a Dime. And nice. we get to use Gun Mall. 
there's lyrics that have worked their way in because we're all kind of word nerds and we all like the show. So when you hear something that inspires you, you kind of take it and you sneak it into one of your songs. And we were joking about it when I told everyone I was going to talk to you guys. They went, oh, you should tell them. And I went, they, they, they don't care. How I'll send cool you a is CD that? sometime. That's yeah, what's the name of your band so we can look for it? It's called The Zoo. Z-O-U. The Z-O-U. Z-O-U. The Zoo. Z-O-U. All right. Yeah. And send us an MP3 or something, too. Maybe the the cover art so we can see how you use those Grawlix. So you can see how we used it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Th- thank you very oh, much, Khaled. Awesome. Really nice to talk to you. All right. Take thank care. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Love the show. Thank you again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'd like to talk with you about language, so call us, 877-929-9673. More questions and discussion about language as Away With Words continues. got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive, easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash ad-free. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now on the line from New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. Hey, buddy. What's up? Well, I'd like, if I may, sing a little song for you. Oh, yeah, sure. Great. It goes like this. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear playmate. Happy birthday to you. If it's your birthday today, happy birthday. I can sing you that song, and we don't have to pay for it because (laughs) it is no longer... Copyrighted, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, playmate. I was. I was. Well, that's the original. That's Hugh I needed Hefner, the. Uh, I no, I wasn't okay. going to the Hugh Hefner thing. <laughs> However, you must always keep your guard up because you never know what is copyrighted and what is not. Right. And some copywriters, copywriters, copywriting mm-hmm. people can be very litigious. For example, you know, I, a while ago I had the idea to begin all of our little quiz sessions with a, uh, a version of a phrase I learned was copywritten by boxing and wrestling ring announcer Michael Buffer. Do you know that phrase? Let's get ready to rumble. That one. Right. Yeah. I was nice. too scared to say, let's get ready to puzzle. Nope. So I'm just not <laughs> going to do it. 
You won't hear me using either of those phrases. Okay. I, I, gotcha. I err on the side of caution. Yes. Now, okay. here are some more copyright infringements. Okay. All right. It's time to get started. Let's do this. Every time I burn my tongue on a slice of pizza or look at the sun, I have to keep myself from uttering a two-word phrase that will just make a hotel heiress even more rich. That's hot. That's hot. hot. Yeah. Oh, is that it? We can't say that. That's it. <laughs> With all those That's extra it. T's, though, right? It's hot. And you can, oh. and you can also do, it's V, 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 hot. Lots oh. of V's, lots of T's. Was that Leona Hemsley? Taxes are for <laughs> the little people? <laughs> no, that's Paris Hilton. Oh. That's hot. <laughs> she actually sued Hallmark for using it on a greeting card in 2007. Okay. Correct. Right. Affirmative. Yes, I can use all of those, but Storage Wars star Dave Hester has registered a certain word that indicates a positive response, though his usually features a surfeit of use in the middle. Do you know what that word is? Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't say, yep. I've been going to, I went to auctions all over the state of Missouri with my father as a boy. There's no way he can trademark that. There's no way. <laughs> well, again, right, that's true. I mean, a lot of, I got to say, before we move on, a lot of these are uh, tried and failed and yeah, okay. tried and in process and stuff like that. But yeah, he puts it on a t-shirt. He's got it on hats. Uh, Y-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-P exclamation point. Yeah. Yep. Well, darned. Okay, here's the next one. Wow, you know, you guys got more than two correct, but not yet four <laughs> correct. You could say you've accomplished a... Three-peat. M- right. <laughs> well, I'm afraid you can't use that word. Oh, LA, no. LA Lakers coach, former LA Lakers coach and current Miami Heat president, Pat Riley, no. copyrighted he that. He tried to copyright it. There was a, he there tried were, to, yeah. Yeah, there was information that he did not coin it nor invent it, nor was it particular to his brand. Right, one of the players coined it, I think, so... Yeah. Let's see what else we have here. You know, I wanted, speaking of sports, I wanted to invite my friends over for the big game, but there are two words I can't use in my evite. Otherwise, the NFL will get after me. Really? What? Yeah. Super Bowl? No, it's Super the... Bowl, yes. Really? Super Bowl, you can't use. If you, if you want what? a bar, if yeah. you want a bar and you're going to have like a, you know, a two for one wings, you can't call it a Super Bowl special. Oh, they oh. Will, <laughs> they'll get on you for that. Like a yeah. Super Bowl of wings? You can't. Exactly, no. Oh, wow. We, we cannot use that. Okay. Jeez. Luckily, fine. That's fine with me. I don't care. Yeah, you're good with that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> now, after a quiz like this one, you might want to give me my walking papers, but you don't have to use that phrase. A certain Republican presidential candidate tried and failed to trademark a two-word phrase about giving someone the pink slip. You're fired. Donald Trump. That's right. Well, thanks very much for taking the quiz, (laughs) guys. Thanks, I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. I'm going to head to court. I'll see you next week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll appear as a character witness if you want. (laughs) Terrific. Thanks. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Or hit us up on Twitter at wayward. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello. This is Christian in Laramie, Wyoming. Hey, Christian. Welcome to the show. What's up? So um, I got married a couple months ago, and I have kind of a big hypothetical question for you. Um, My wife and I are planning on having a kid or kids at some point, and she is a native French speaker from Cameroon. I'm a native uh, English speaker who is a Spanish teacher, and we have the idea to try and raise children uh, trilingually. And what I mean by that is uh, try to speak to them as much as possible in French and Spanish in our house and then kind of just let English take care of itself. So 
Um, I was wondering if this has been done, if there's been some any studies about it, and any advice that you all might have for us as we try this out. Interesting. Okay. What good is having kids if you can't do some linguistic experiments? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> experimenting on kids is a yeah. That's a tried and true tradition with all parents. My wife wouldn't let me put my son in a Skinner box, so I was going to try that. <laughs> so let's see, Christian. Your your wife is from Cameroon. Uh huh. And she speaks French. She does. Yes. Any other languages? Uh, no. She has she had some for parents' uh, native language in the home, but. Uh, she she isn't proficient as a speaker. But, but she she has French. She has English as well. Oh yes, she okay. does speak English. And actually, she and I primarily speak English with each other. Okay, too. and there, right there, that line right mm. there is the whole heart of going to be your difficulty. Okay. Uh huh. It's the two of you trying to avoid talking English to each other in front of the children, because that sure. is where you're going to triply, quadruply, even more reinforce English in their minds as the key language that they need to know. So do you right. do you speak French? Did we establish that? We did, we did not establish that, and I'm working hard. I'm I'm at beginner intermediate level, I'd say. Okay, French, right? so, so so, but you're fluent in Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, well, this is I, interesting. I give myself, you know, quote unquote, near native level on okay. on okay. Spanish. So your wife is teaching you French. She is. Like, I didn't want to put that entire burden on her, so I'm trying to seek out, you know, some independent French instruction, and mm-hmm. then I bring bring that back home and then try out some conversation with her and stuff like that. So I think that's the that's the model for us. Okay. All right, so there's a lot. To, this is a big one. There's a lot to say about this. Let me talk about a little bit of what I've learned from others who've tried to do this. One, when I lived in Paris, I knew an American who his teacher was his father-in-law, and it worked remarkably well. It wasn't as fraught with tension as you might think. It actually gave them an amazing relationship where they Mm. could go to museums together and sporting events together. And I don't know if your in-laws are accessible to you, but I would recommend something like that if you can because they became like best friends and this American learned French very well from his Ah. father-in-law. The Mm. other thing is... Kind of... A, a chance to endear myself a little bit to the in-laws. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not sucking up so much as just saying, it's like um, putting yourself before them saying, I need you. I need you to help sure. me. And everyone loves to be needed in a little in some ways, right? If you right. don't have that, the other alternative is here, um, just kind of accept from the start that the English is going to win. And I hate to say this, the people that I know have that have successfully made their children multilingual or have split their lives between two or three countries. I know one family where they're French Peruvian, and so they speak English, Spanish, and French, and it is a struggle to get that French and Spanish into their kids. It's really I difficult. Think. Even though they go to Peru all the time, they go to France all the time, they consume French media, their kids study, study French and Spanish in school. The kids are basically English speakers with polite levels of French and Spanish. And does one parent specifically do French and the other parent specifically does Spanish? Um, I'm not quite sure of the arrangement. They, I know that they tried that for a while, but mm-hmm. both parents actually speak French fluently, mm-hmm. perfectly. One of them speaks Spanish perfectly. So mm-hmm. French was kind of the language of the household. And actually French is like the second language before Spanish. And so they... But they live in New York, so Spanish okay. is a constant presence there. So that's kind of helped a little bit. Hmm. The other thing that I would say about this is if you can accept that English is going to win out and be the number one language, it's going to do a lot to take a lot of guilt away from, from this process. You won't feel like you are... You have deprived them of their heritage or their opportunities sure. that could come from knowing three languages. 
But um, you're going, I mean, we're talking having the radio on in French and Spanish all the time. We're talking television in French and Spanish, French and Spanish books and newspapers. They need to be studying these languages like from as soon as they start school. They need to have like a tutor or classes in these languages. It takes a constant, consistent, expensive effort to pull this off. Hmm. Also, a couple other things here that may or may not be useful for you. I don't know what your travel budget is like, but get once the kids are old enough to travel easily and kind of not have to be carried or pushed in a stroller, get yourself to the nearest Spanish and French-speaking cities as often as you can. I mean, do, you know, Montreal and um, I, I don't even know, uh, Miami as often as you can. You know, yeah. one other suggestion, Christian, is that you might look for multilingual playgroups. Mm-hmm. There are such things. In fact, there's a great website called multilingualchildren.org that gives you tips for forming that kind of playgroup so you can get the kid out of the house and, and have them interact with, with kids who are going through the very same thing. So that might be oh. helpful as well. But it, uh, good luck with that challenge. And it might not be too early to re- be researching full immersion schools. I don't. I assume that Laramie is not that large, but um, yeah, here in San Diego we have full immersion German, Chinese, and Spanish. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, if, we, if we stick around Laramie, that's probably not a great option, but uh, if we end up in a more urban city, that would certainly be something to look into. Well, Christian, we admire your goals. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> call us in a few years when the kids are born. Yeah. We want to see photos, okay. and we want to hear yeah. how it's going, all right? Yeah, have them call us and talk to us in French. All right. I sure will. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Take bientôt. care. Bye-bye. Au revoir. You too. Bye. I can't tell you the number of families that I know that went in it with the best intentions and a full plan, and by age three or four, the kids are basically English speakers with a few polite words of the other language. It just, uh, I it would is love to hear stories from our do. listeners about this. Yeah. Call us and talk to us about that, 877-929-9673, or send your story to words at waywardradio.org. We would love to hear your experience in trying to raise children to be trilingual, as, as trilingual. they suggested. How did you wow. do it? Did it work? Let us know. I have a couple more Montana mascots that were sent to us by Chuck Johnson in Helena. There are the Powell County Wardens. Wardens? Yeah. Like prison wardens? Yes, yes. The school is in Deer Lodge, which is also the home of Montana State Prison. Okay. So the Fighting Wardens. And then the Missoula Loyal Sacred Heart Breakers. Breakers. Yeah. The Sacred Heart Breakers. Oh, the Sacred Heart Breakers. Isn't that nice? Nice. Yeah, it's a Catholic girl school in Missoula. The Missoula Loyal Sacred Heart Breakers. Go Breakers. (laughs) Go Breakers. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Faye. I am calling from Heath, just a little bit outside of um, Dallas, okay. a little city. Cool. Excellent. What's what can... on your mind? Well, I was calling because um, when I was growing up, um, we're from Jamaica. When we were growing up, my mom, she, you know, she was uh, a fashion designer oh. and um, hot couture in, in, in specific. And she used to say a phrase that I have um, caught myself using quite a bit. And the phrase is, uh, a man on a galloping horse wouldn't see it. And she would use it in particular, suppose um, someone came in and they were fitting on, you know, one of their outfits. And maybe there was a flaw, maybe a little flaw in the material, or maybe the hem was a little bit off or something. And maybe I would notice it. She would say, oh, a man on a galloping horse wouldn't see it. Or 
you know, it's as if she was saying, oh, don't worry about it. It's not very noticeable. But I have caught myself using it so much more now, even with my, you know, my children. Mm-hmm. And I, I have often wondered what the origin, the origin of it is. Do you guys know anything about it? Well, we've we've certainly run across that and versions of it before. The one that I'm most familiar with is it'll never be seen on a galloping horse. Yeah, and the oh. one that I know is a blind man on a galloping horse. Ah, yeah, more notice. intensified, yeah. Yeah. Or I've also heard somebody say it'll never be seen on a galloping goose. Remember galloping we got a, goose. somebody called oh, us about that one okay. time. But but you're absolutely right, Faye, that that the idea is just sort of this uh sort of helpfully absurd image and something that's that's very liberating. I mean, I, I'm assuming that when she said it, she was just sort of uh, saying, relax, take it easy, don't worry yes. about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, like uh, as if it was a noticeable. And I know I do have a keen eye for detail, mm-hmm. you know, and I usually see things that nobody else sees. And I think she, it was maybe her way to kind of trivialize what I was seeing. Oh, that doesn't make a big difference to anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't worry about it, that's it right. you uh-huh. know. Well, I can definitely see using that in fashion. I, I like the idea of applying it to, to everything, whether it's a messy house or... I mean, how do you use it? Pretty much the same. If, um, you know, the kids, my daughter in particular, she might see, you know, something on her, on her outfit and might think it's all, you know, it's big, it's, everybody will notice it. And I would say, don't worry about it. A man on a galloping horse wouldn't see it. <laughs> or if she has... I remember using it in particular when she had like a pimple. Yep. I was thinking the same thing. I would say, don't worry, a man a galloping horse wouldn't see it. (laughs) But I don't think she got the humor. (laughs) Right. That was probably cold comfort for her, right? right? At least there's one person who won't notice, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I love that it's also also kind of reflects that we tend to notice the defects in our own appearance and Mm -hmm. the work that we're doing more than other people do. Mm -hmm. And there's a long history on that one. What, 1800s from the United Kingdom, all over the British Isles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know it still is used in Ireland to a degree today. Okay. And the Irish had... had a long history in Jamaica. Some of yes, them, they did. And so yes, there's, a, did. there's a chance that that's the conduit by which you speak it, that you say the expression now. You know what? You are probably pretty right about that one, because my grandmother, I know we, we have some mixed heritage somewhere, mm-hmm. so uh-huh. it, could easily, mm-hmm. it could easily be that. But well, I know that the Irish in Jamaica, a lot of times, were school teachers as well, so it's possible it mm-hmm. could even just be taught in a more formal setting and not necessarily through family. Okay, okay. But who says galloping horse nowadays? Nobody, right? <laughs> well, people who've inherited an expression, yeah. Yes, my daughter used to, you know, with wide open eyes. My son even started doing that, too, when I would say the words, you know. A man on a motorcycle wouldn't notice. Well, yeah. How do we update that? Oh. Yeah, a galloping horse sounds better to me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's a more, more modern term, right? Yes. <laughs> Well, Faye, we are so grateful for your calling. I think you've given people a gift here, all of us who uh, are trying not to be so uh, so caught up in details, in details Pickness, like that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very wonderful. much for your call. Well, I'm glad. Thank you so much for your insights, I, and I love your show. Thank oh, you very thank much. You. Take care now. Take all care. All right, then. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So in Jamaica. In Jamaica. Interesting. Yeah, and but you'll still find it in novels in particular coming out of the UK, far less often in the United States, uh-huh. but but here and there. Uh-huh. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D.
You know, Grant, earlier Christian mentioned that his wife is from Cameroon. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear that name, I always think of shrimp. Uh, wow, I don't, I don't have that connection. What's you don't? This? No, what's the story? The story is that the name of that country comes from the Portuguese word camarões, which means shrimp, ah. because early explorers in the 15th century uh, who went there saw that the river there was really full of shrimp. Oh, interesting. And yeah, yeah, so it's related to uh, camarones in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, I always make the mistake of, of uh, ordering camareros, which is... The waiters. <laughs> or at least I don't always make that mistake, but I used to when I was trying to order in Spanish. So, so, so you have like uh, all these gorgeous people in aprons lined up at your table by the yes, end of the night? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It happens anyway, but uh, but camarones is, is uh, Spanish for shrimp. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I, I always is, picture I like it, I like I it very much. Shrimp. One of the things I love about Cameroon is the number of languages they have spoken there, English and French, and then mm. a lot of regional languages. Mm-hmm. It's a really a good example of how you can do multiple languages in a country well. Interesting. And maybe that inspired them to uh, to raise those kids trilingually. Good luck with that. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. More conversation about what you say and why you say it. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. A few weeks ago on this show, we were talking about Sojourner Truth mm-hmm. and the fact that the first 10 years or so of her life, she spoke only Dutch. She learned English later. And that led me to do a lot of reading about Pinkster, the spring festival. You know what this is, Grant. Yeah, it's an African-American holiday, or was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the name derives from the Dutch word for Pentecost, and it happens in the late spring. I was reading about the festival in the early 18th and 19th century on a website called HudsonValley.org. Now, this is uh, the website of an educational nonprofit that um, that discusses uh, the historic Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to share with you a paragraph from that website and see if anything strikes you the way it struck me. Oh, okay. okay? Let's see. Pinkster was brought to the New World by Dutch settlers in the 1620s and flourished in the areas of heaviest Dutch settlement, the Hudson Valley, northern New Jersey, and western Long Island. These same areas also had significant populations of enslaved Africans from the 1600s until emancipation in New York in 1827. For enslaved people, the year offered few holidays or breaks from tedious and often grueling work. For rural captives in particular, who were often isolated from larger African communities, Pinkster became the most important break in the year. Anything strike you about that? Uh... No? What am I missing? Well, they never once used the word slave. They said enslaved. They, that's right. But they never, they never used slave as a noun. Interesting. They used enslaved Africans, enslaved people, and rural captives. And the reason I was thinking about this was that uh, I gave a talk in 
Fort Worth at Tarrant County College, and a history professor called my attention to the fact that there's something that happens in your mind if you don't use the word slave and instead substitute the words enslaved person, enslaved men, enslaved children. Mm -hmm. It's just different. And I think that there's... uh, there's a risk of carrying political correctness too far, but I think that this is a really profound way to write and talk about slavery. I see. I, w- I was trying to figure out what, if you think, thought it was a, a, it was bad writing to mm-hmm. leave the word slave out, or if the way that they've used uh, enslaved as an adjective was more effective in humanizing the subjects. And that's what you're saying, right? That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Uh-huh. So if we say a slave, yeah. what are we thinking about? We're thinking about... Um, uh, people in a horrific situation, of course, people who didn't want to be doing what they were doing, but we're also falling deeply into all these stereotypes of um, us and them and white and black. Well, and the presumption that it's a condition yeah, rather a condition. than something imposed right. upon you. It's sort of like like when you read history books that say slave families were broken up mm-hmm. on the auction block. No, white people broke up yeah. families of there enslaved an, people. There was an actor there. That yes. passive language yes, is taking exactly. away like That's, the fact that there was a, an agent of destruction who did the deed. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, that's I think really it's a very interesting. powerful so, tweet. So so clearly whoever wrote that put some thought into how they wanted to talk about um, uh, and slavery in the right way. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's really changed the way that, that I think about and write about that now. You know, I work in the museum business in right. my other life. Mm-hmm. And I read a museum blog, which is really interesting. It's a person who works in a museum on a plantation in the South. I don't, I'll find it for the website. I'm not recalling the name of it right now. But what she does is relates the questions and comments that she gets from visitors. And so many of her visitors want to deny that slavery was oh, real. Oh, yes, yes. They I've want seen that to, blog. they basically said, yeah. but they were treated well, right? Weren't they? Right. But, but they, you know, they were, they were fed and taken care of and given clothing and shelter, right? Right. And, and, and it's they were just, singing. It's, Hello. Yeah. It's just hard for some people <laughs> right. to get to that extra understanding. Like, yes. And if they tried to escape, they would be killed or their family would be yes. killed or they would be branded or they would be mutilated or injury would happen. Right. I know we're far afield on the language topic, right. but it is really at the heart of this, what you've brought up is this, this way that we can either do justice through mm. words or we can do injustice through words. Very, And very it behooves well us said. to do justice. Very well said, Grant. We know you've got comments about this. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hi there. You have a way with words. Hello. This is uh, David calling in from San Antonio. I had a question about uh, Tolkien's use of language in The Hobbit. Oh, great. We're big Hobbit fans. Yeah, sure. Big Tolkien fans here. What's, what are you thinking? Are you reading that now? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm a teacher, and I'm, I'm working with a, a class of sixth graders, and we're working our way through it. And we were reading a, the section on uh, flies and spiders, and there's this great scene where Bilbo's taunting the giant spiders as he's trying to rescue the dwarves from their webs. And he starts shouting out these taunts in a sing-song fashion. And there's a couple words, Adderkop and Tom Naughty, that he's using as insults uh, mm-hmm. for the spiders. And we were wondering, my class and me, where those words come from and uh, what they mean, because we couldn't find them in the dictionary. Adderkop, Adderkop, down you drop, old Tom Naughty, all big body. Am I remembering it correctly? You're, yeah, you are. Yeah, old <laughs> Tom Naughty, all big body, old Tom Naughty, can't spy me. Got it. One of the things that Tolkien did, you know, he 
worked for a time with the Oxford English Dictionary working on etymologies. So throughout his books, even though it seems like a really fantastical world, he has tried to ground a lot of the language in true language, in true linguistic history connecting it to older forms of English and Norse and the Germanic languages and so forth. And so Adderkop actually was at one point a word in English. If you look in a larger dictionary like the Oxford English Dictionary, you will find an entry for Adderkop, also for Tom, Noddy, and a bunch of the other words that they use. Um, Adderkop is basically just an old-fashioned way of saying spider. I think it means something like poison head. Yeah. C-O-P, you probably, Martha is probably going ding, ding, ding in her mind. C-O-P is related to the words for head. Yes, and it's, well, it's also related to the word uh, cobweb. Cobweb, there we go. And so they're all in there. And I want to refer you to a couple resources, not just for those words, but for all of the language that he uses. First, there's a really great article on the Oxford University Press website. It's called, Why Did Tolkien Use Archaic Language? And so they just talk about this. They talk about him personally and his academic career, what he contributed to the Oxford English Dictionary, and then how that played out in his books. And you can just Google that title, Why Did Tolkien Use Archaic Language? And you'll find it at OxfordDictionaries.com. But probably more significantly, there's two books that I would recommend you find. One of them is called The Ring of Words. It's by three fellows. One of them is Peter Jelliver, whom I know. And what they've done is not only have they researched Tolkien's history with the Oxford English Dictionary, they found his actual files. They found the stuff that he worked with when he was working in language. And they've gone into the archives of the Oxford English Dictionary and kind of like explained it all and tried to connect it again and again to the books and to the language that he uses there. It's really academic stuff, but I still think you could probably make it palatable for a class of sixth graders. And then the other one is online and it's free. It's by a fellow named Oliver Liu, L-O-O. And it's TolkienEnglishGlossary.com. TolkienEnglishGlossary.com. Now, he also made a book of this, but a lot of this is available on his website. He's got, you know, an A to Z reference, some, a lot of front matter and a lot of explanation and stuff. And he just goes into it and talks about all the different words that you might encounter and wonder about. So Adderkop is uh, literally poison head for spider. And yeah. what was the other one? Tom Noddy. Tom Noddy. Tom Noddy's a, a foolish or stupid person connected to the word naughty, which was also a fool or stupid person going back as far as the 1500s. Okay, so just like the name Tom. Yeah, Tom, which is often used in a variety of combinations. Yeah, so David, what are your students saying about all these strange words that they're encountering? Well, they're they're really enjoying it. Um, the they were asking specifically about about those when they came up because in the text it even says, "And nobody likes being called a Tom Naughty." So <laughs> they were wondering what they were, but it, they're especially loving the the poetry and the, and the songs. Where we memorized the, the dwarvish song at the start of the book. You memorized a, it in dwarvish. A real treat for them. Yeah, the, the all ten the ten verses of the of the far over the misty mountain. Oh, I see. Good lord! Wow. Yeah. And are they performing this for somebody? Oh yeah, well at our school it, it, it's a, a classical uh, charter school. We uh, we have poetry wars where uh, the different classes memorize uh, poems and then with uh, a certain theatrical quality to them, and then we we go and we invade their classrooms and perform them uh, uh, for one another. You invade their classrooms. This does sound yeah, sort we, of Tolkien. We, mar- we march in in the middle of class with like we'll, beards we'll and axes. And they recite back. Say again. <laughs> we, you march in with beards and axes and take over the classroom. <laughs> no beards and axes yet. Maybe maybe next year, but uh, no, just just with our just with our voices. And our, and our poems. Okay, little hairy feet. And... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, out, that's outstanding. That's wonderful. Well, David, congratulations. It sounds like you're doing great work there. Thank you so much for Th- your time. Thank you. Take care now. Okay. Bye. Bye. Tom Noddy. Atacop, Atacop, down you drop. <laughs>
<laughs> so in the, in the scene, he's, he is, he's, in, he's in the, the Mirkwood, this dark, evil forest, fighting off spiders. Mirkwood. Um, and I trying to that. save his dwarvish friends from being eaten. Well, don't be a Tom Noddy. Call us, 877-929-9673. Grant, I met a guy from the Ozarks the other day who reminded me that there's a great expression that has to do with the idea of well, I, I think of it as spilled milk, you know, something that's happened and mm-hmm. you can't can't go back and fix it. What's that? That melon's busted. That melon is busted. I mean, you can just picture dropping a watermelon or something. There's no way you're no. putting it back together, right? No. no. It reminds me when my son was very young, one-ish, two-ish. Yeah? If he wanted his bananas whole and if uh-huh. they were broken, he would cry and <laughs> shout, put it, put it. He wanted the banana put back together. <laughs> Well, putting together a banana is a lot easier than putting a watermelon back together, right? Yeah. That melon's busted. Sure. (laughs) I love that. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Uh, Hi. This is uh, Nathan calling from Abilene, Texas, where I listen to you guys on KCU. Outstanding. Glad to hear it. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Well, I've got a, a an interesting question that kind of involves a travel story. Oh, good. I was uh, a few years ago. I was on a business trip to London, England, and I had a trade show that I was attending, and had a bunch of uh, boxes that I was bringing in from the uh, hotel that I was staying uh, uh, at to go to the uh, the trade show venue. And I put them in a taxi, and I brought them uh, to the uh, venue, and we unloaded them on the side of the road, and I'm trying to get them down to my uh, exhibit space. And so I went into the uh, venue, and I walked up to this group of British working men who were there uh, working in the in the bowels of the Trade Center there, and, mm-hmm. and uh, walked up to them, and I said, I need a dolly. <laughs> and they uh, looked at me um, like I was uh, speaking a foreign language. And one of the guys started rocking his arms back and forth, and said, "You want a dolly, mate?" <laughs> and like a, like I a, said, "Like a toy dolly, like, a ba- like like it was a like it was a, a doll." And I said, uh, "No." And they start looking at each other, and it really was one of those, you know, two people, one people separated by a common language uh-huh. type moment. Anyway, so I I looked at him and realized that I really had was not communicating at all, and I I started going back through my. Uh, lexicon of other 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 euphemisms for a dolly and so I said okay I want a two-wheeler which is a name that I'd heard used and they kind of looked at me and kind of heads cocked to the side and then uh, I said I want a hand truck which is another old mm-hmm. one uh, old word that I've heard used to describe a dolly and they kind of looked at me and <laughs> I still wasn't communicating and then finally uh, I said I want a platform with an axle with two wheels attached to an axle with a pole coming up the back that can I can slide under some boxes and lean them back <laughs> and haul them. And at this point, they look at me and they say, oh, you want a trolley? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yes, I'd like a trolley then. Uh, and they said, the, go get the Yanka trolley. And somebody went off and, and, and they got the Yanka trolley and I got my boxes and I took it back to them and I said, thank you. And, you know, this was my little moment. And so, which leads me to puzzling for a long time where exactly this, I guess, uniquely American word, dolly, came from for something that we 
used to haul furniture and boxes around. Oh, but oh, I bet they're still talking heart. about the American who wanted a doll. <laughs> the Yank. <laughs> the Yank. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Oh, Nathan. Uh, it's not settled in this country either, by the way. Not at all, Nathan. We There's not universal agreement on what those devices are called here either. I mean, it depends on your industry. In some industries, a dolly is a hand truck. and in other industries, a hand truck is a dolly. And I mean, I grew up with one thing where it's the like a square or rectangular board on four caster wheels. That's a dolly. No okay. handle. Maybe a rope to pull it. Mm. The one that you were talking about that you moved your boxes with is a hand truck. And then you've got trolley, which is kind of like a cabinet on wheels or like a shelving unit on wheels, maybe with open sides. But I know that in other industries, it's very different. It's very fixed, for example, in the jargon of some some unions. They have very specific language because that language relates to what they're permitted to do um, as for their duty. So they've kind of written it into job descriptions and stuff. I remember being really struck the first time I heard anybody talking about a dolly, meaning that thing that you sort of lean back and yeah. push. Uh, I, w- I was really surprised. Yeah, that's never been a dolly. That's never been a dolly for me, but I know that it is for other people. Yeah, so why is it a dolly? (laughs) We don't rock it in our arms. No, we don't. You know, those those Brits, by the way, they might have also responded to the word a Raleigh or a Rowley, because for a long time that was a word for that device as well, just depending where you were in the country. You know, I wonder if you'd have gone just a couple miles down the road to another hotel and asked a similar group of workmen if they would have understood, because it is super local, some of this stuff, and very specific to certain trades. The, the little bit of research that I did, they came back and said that dolly is basically an American term. Mm-hmm. This right. is something that, w- that we use that's mm-hmm. uniquely American and different from, from uh, anything that the Brits would use. Well, yeah. that's a case of falling out of favor. If you look it up in a historical dictionary like the Oxford English Dictionary, you will see many long variations on different devices for carting things around called dollies. And many of them were used for a long time in the United Kingdom and and mining or construction or what have you. So it's not so maybe it's it, it remains American, but it didn't necessarily start as American. That's a fun story. I love those moments, and I'm glad that you can tell it with a bit of uh, humor in your heart. Oh, it, it was a lot of fun, actually. It's a great story. <laughs> I just imagine a bunch of burly guys like, what kind of fellow comes up to men and asks for a doll? <laughs> Yeah, so we don't really have a good answer for the origin of Dolly. The only thing I can think of is those three-legged um, television camera dollies. I don't know you that. Know? I don't know that term. Yeah, but there's another sort of example like a of yeah. very specific language in a particular trade yeah. or profession, so, and, and not the same as other trades or professions. Right. Or maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe the whole thing was surreal, and it's a reference to Salvador. I yeah, don't know. There we go. <laughs> but maybe somebody knows. Yeah, we'd love to hear how you use those words dolly, trolley, hand truck in your business. Oh, and two-wheeler, which is one I hadn't heard before. Mm. Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Nathan, thank you so much for your story and your call. Thank you so much. Have Have a good one. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Here is a really weird mascot. This one was sent to us by Max Winter Osterhaus, who went to Madison East High School in Wisconsin. He says, we were the Pergolders. Pergold. P-U-R-G-O-L-D-E-R-S. Pergolders. That's a pretzel? <laughs> <laughs> That's that Gold. Is that a pretzel? No, it sort of looks like a cat, but it's. he said it's just a mashup of purple and gold. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. We were the Pergolders. Sorry about the name. 
I don't know. They probably have a great record. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673. Send them to our email address, words at waywardradio.org. Do you want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the shows in any podcast app or on iTunes. The toll-free line is always open, so leave a message for us at 877-929-9673. We love to get your emails at words at waywardradio.org or you can hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen to each other and the way we think about language. And you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine and director and editor Tim Felton in San Diego. In New York, we thank production wizard James Ramsey, quiz guy John Chinesky, and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Bye-bye. So long. <laughs>